You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. So this week we are continuing in week two of a series called Under God. Under God? Question mark? And so something we're talking about is that it's selection season. If you haven't noticed, it's one of the most polarizing times of the entire decade. It's a presidential election. Uh, happens to be a global pandemic. Just a lot of things going crazy. Going on, it's craziness right now. And so we're just taking a few moments and, and really unpacking this idea and started talking about the Pledge of Allegiance and how um, last week we said, you know, the very first part that we're one nation. And that the nation that we are from is that as Christ followers, we're from a heavenly nation. That God has sent us as his ambassadors to this earth. The Bible teaches us that we are Christ's ambassadors. We, we impact that and looked about what that looked like last week. And so we're continuing that um, theme with the pledge and talked about one nation. And this week we're going to talk about that second part, under God. Then we're going to continue with indivisible. And then the last part, liberty and justice for all, will be the next two weeks. I'm just really excited to keep digging in um, with you on this. And as we continue this week and we um, do this, we really want to unpack this idea is that how do we as Christ followers live under God in a culture that is increasingly hostile towards God? How, how do we do that? How do we live under God? How do we follow him, live like Christ in a culture that is completely opposite of what God asks us to live, the things that he asks us to do? How can we live under God? And now what you may not know, and maybe you do, is that the phrase under God was not originally in the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, some of you might have known that and last week when we went through the pledge and we titled the series. You might have been thinking, ha, you know what? That under God thing wasn't even originally in the pledge. Well, there you go. Counterpoint. I'm now pointing out that it wasn't originally in the Pledge of Allegiance. And matter of fact, I did a little research on this and I got a little too deep in the rabbit hole in understanding the whole pledge and, and where it came from and the history behind it. Um, but originally it was composed in 1887 by Colonel George Balch, and he composed the original pledge that actually didn't become the official one, and it was very different than the one we have now. If you're curious, I actually have it here, and I'll read it to you. It says, we give our heads, our hearts to God and our country. One country, one language, one flag. A little bit different than what we're used to, right? It doesn't quite have the ring that we're used to, and um, matter of fact, they didn't think so, so they rewrote it. Um, and then another guy, Years later, Reverend Francis Bellamy, uh, who was a Baptist minister and also a socialist. I'm not exactly sure how that works. It kind of sounds like an oxymoron, you know, like um, government efficiency, jumbo, shrimp, Microsoft works. Those are all, you know, uh, oxymoron doesn't really make sense. But somehow this guy was a socialist and a minister at the same time. And so he wrote a pledge um, that did become the official one. And at that time, it said, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. A couple things missing in the one that you have memorized, right? It doesn't say to the flag the United States of America, and it's also missing that phrase, under God. Well, as the years went on in our American history, they began to retool the pledge and things would begin to change. They began to add things. They added the United States, and matter of fact, um, it wasn't the official thing to actually put your hand over your heart when you did the pledge. I did not know this, but they actually used to put their palm out, um, raised hand towards the flag. Now, you can imagine Imagine why they probably started to stop doing this uh, in early 
earlier, uh, the, the fascist nations in Italy and Germany and Europe, they began to do the same thing and, and put their hand out. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't too cool to be saluting our flag like the Nazis were. And so they decided, hey, why don't we put our hand over our heart instead? And so that's what they begin to do. But interestingly enough, you can go look at pictures online of school children with their hand out to the flag as they're doing the pledge in the morning before school. And then something else that they finally changed was in 1954 in the response to the threat of communism in the world, which is a big deal at that time, President Eisenhower suggested to Congress that they add the phrase under God. There were several people in that time in history who were, who were suggesting that, pushing it, that it should be something that is included. And so sure enough, they passed it. And that's what it's been ever since that phrase has been in there under God. And so as we unpack that and look at that and begin to understand that, I want to start with this question. What is it that you are under? What is it that you are under? And what do you mean by that? And here, here's a simple way that I think that I can explain this. And we'll put this up on the screen that if I were to ask you what you were, if you were under culture or if you were under God on a scale of one to 10. So if you were to write that down on a piece of paper or just in your head mentally, you would see that on the left, number one, completely under culture, all the way up to number 10, completely under God. And, and where would you fall? You as a Christ follower, you've said yes to Jesus. You're following after God. You surrendered your life to him. You're no longer living for your own or your own desires, that you're surrendered and following after Jesus. So ask the question, where are you? Are you living under culture? Or are you living under God? Where would you grade yourself? What would you rate yourself? And what if I were to get a little more specific? Because you're like, well, Brian, that's kind of vague. I, I don't know. And maybe you just do the safe thing like me and be like, well, I'm a five, right? I'm just middle of the road. I'm just neutral. I don't answer either way. I'm just, you know, not hot and cold. I'm just, I'm five. I'm in the middle, right? It's like always answering C on the multiple choice. You know you did it. Anyway, if I were to ask you and, and really drill down on this and, and start with this idea of what are the things that you do for entertainment, the things that you watch for entertainment, would you say that you were under culture or would you say that you were under God? Where on that scale would you fall? Would you say the things that you watch and you do and you think, are they honoring to God? Have you ever considered asking God if this is something that is beneficial for you? And some of you are like, whoa, that is really out there. But seriously, think about it. Is it just simply what's popular in culture? Is it what everyone else is watching? What everyone else is listening to? What everyone else is engaging to in the movie that they're going to see? Where, where are you in the things that you are entertained? Are you a one or a ten? Where would you be in that scale? Somewhere in the middle or just completely Influenced by culture? Would you say, no, I'm really more influenced by God and the things even in my entertainment? How about with our money, with our finances? Would you say you're completely influenced by culture? Who say it's just about all that you can acquire? It's about building up as much as you can for yourself? It's about just doing everything you can to make yourself wealthy and just have as much comfort as possible? Or are you saying maybe it would be a little more under God and doing the things that he asks us to do, to be good stewards with our finances, to live within margin, to be generous, to be tied and giving the first 10% to God, where would you be within your finances? Would you simply be just under what culture says and dictates to us what we should be doing? Or would you say you're more on that scale towards what God challenges us to do, to trust Him and put Him first with our finances? How about with our words? Oh man, this one could be tough and even challenging for me. Would you say with your words and the things that you speak that you are more under culture, under God, and even think specifically in some instances of people who maybe you don't necessarily like, or agree with. Think about the words that come about out of your mouth. Would you say they line up more with culture, who says we cancel people that we disagree with, or would line up more under God, who says to love your enemies and to turn the other cheek? That's pretty challenging. 
But you begin to think about that and really evaluate, where would you say you fall on that scale? How about with your time? Oh, this one is so important. If you were to really take a look at your time and how you spend your time, we all have a limited amount of life to live. There's only 24 hours in a day. We only have seven days in a week. Sometimes we have 28, sometimes we have 31 days because it gets confusing in a month. But 365 days in a year, we only have so much time. Does the time and the time that you spend and what you do with your time, is that under God? Or is it influenced completely by our culture? Do you make your relationship with God a priority? Do you make a relationship of putting time and spending time with Him, or is it just kind of whatever's left and whatever's available on the schedule? That our culture dictates to us what's important, what we want to do, and what our priorities are? Or are we saying that our time, our schedule, is really under God? What is it that we're under the influence in the time, the things that we do with it? Or how about our worth? What is it that we find our worth in? Is it under the culture who, who dictates that our worth is dictated by what other people think, what other people say, by our level of success or achievement, by how much money we make, by the house that we live in? What is it that we really do to determine our worth? Is it really based on that, what culture says, or is it based on what God says, that our, our worth is assessed by who we are in Christ and who we are in God's eyes and how He sees us, that He sees us as His sons and His daughters and that He loves us and He sent His Son that He would do anything thing to be in relationship with you and he sees you more than a conqueror that he sees you that you are able that he loves you that he's for you that he is with you that he is crazy about you. what do you find your worth and what are you under when it comes to your worth and your identity is it culture or is it under god now, as we begin to ask that, you may be like just honest and say, I, I don't totally know, Brian. I'm not exactly sure where I fall on that scale. And you might not know what you are under the influence of because sometimes, I don't know if you've ever experienced someone who's been intoxicated or under the influence of alcohol. It can get pretty, pretty crazy. Matter of fact, they may not even know that they're under the influence of alcohol. If you've been around a drunk person, it totally affects the way they think, doesn't it? And it affects something that's funny, something that be, might be mildly funny or slightly humorous are not funny at all. They can't stop laughing because it's hilarious and they talk really funny and really slurred and really crazy and even can affect who's attractive because you pound down about six or seven and the room starts looking really attractive after a while and maybe even yourself, you come out in that bathing suit, woo, I look good, right? It, I, I don't know what it is, if you've ever been around or even the people that you love, it's like, man, I love you. You know, you were, you were the best. You were the best person. You never even met this person before. They just happen to be sitting next to you at the bar, but they're totally in love with you and no one gets you the way that you get me. Have you ever been around someone who's been intoxicated under the influence of alcohol? They lower their guard. It makes them more vulnerable. They're not always aware that they're under the influence. Recently, prior to the pandemic, I was driving Uber on the side, doing a little side hustle, and I would typically drive late on Friday nights, because there's a lot of people out on Friday night, and Pastor Ryan also um, drove on the side, and we would both be driving and be texting each other stories of what's going on, and seeing who had the craziest drunk story of the night, because there's no doubt, the later it got on Friday, uh, the more intoxicated the people were going to be getting into your car on Friday night, which sometimes could be fun and a good time, and sometimes 
times there's moments where you have to stop your car and kick them out because they're absolutely out of their mind. Uh, it can be really, really dicey because sometimes when people are under the influence of alcohol, they don't know that they're, and they're screaming at you. I'm not drunk. I'm fine. I don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. It's all you. It's everyone else. It's not them. They're the ones who are completely fine and sane in the moment, but they're not because of the underfluence of alcohol and they don't even realize that they're like that. And see, the same thing can be true with us. What if we are so intoxicated with the culture around us that we aren't even aware that we are under that influence? It's kind of sobering to think about. And so when we think about that and, and that we're not always aware that we're under the influence, that sometimes we can be so under the influence of the culture around us, even as Christ followers, we may not completely be aware that it's affecting us. And I think there's someone who really, really uh, uh, personify this, really shows what this looks like to be faced with a situation and have to decide if they're going to be influenced by culture or they're going to stay, continue to be influenced under the God that they served. And so if we go way back um, in the Old Testament, there's a story of a guy named Daniel. And Daniel was someone that despite every cultural temptation, he remained completely under God. He remained completely unshaken in his devotion to God and bucked the culture that said that he wasn't supposed to be following after him. See, at this time, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the big bad king of Babylon, he came into Jerusalem and he destroyed it. He destroyed the temple. He burned it down. He wrecked the city. He looted all their goods. And on top of that, he took all of the best and the brightest and he took them out of exile. He took them to Babylon, took them away from their land, their people, their God, their culture. And he brought them into Babylon and he wanted to indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. And so he would train them to become future government leaders. And so to do this, he had to indoctrinate them and get them to no longer serve the God that they followed, the God who we follow, the one true God, and instead to serve the gods, the pagan gods that they followed after and get involved in their culture and begin to change the way that they think. And here we pick up the story in Daniel 1. And it says this, and this guy's name was Ashpenaz. He was the chief of courts, and he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were enter the king's service. Now, at face value, there may be something that you don't really catch here. It says they were assigned a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Now, why was that a problem? See, the food and wine that was the king on the king's table, it was dedicated to the pagan gods. It was dedicated to the gods who were not the one true God, Yahweh, that they, that Daniel was following. And so he knew to partake of this food, even though it was culturally okay and the culturally right thing to do in Babylon, he knew that this would be going against the very thing that God told him as a follower of God that he was supposed to do. So this creates a problem. This creates a rub for him. And so what they begin to do is they begin to change their language. They're no longer speak their native tongue, the language that they grew up with, but now they're going to speak a new language. And they're going to change their education. They're going to indoctrinate them with all the Babylonian thoughts and thinkings and, and systems. They're going to even change their diet and the things that they would eat and the food that was dedicated to pagan gods. This is kind of a big problem. And they were even changing their name. They would no longer be called the name that they were given at birth. The names that were dedicated to Yahweh, their God, they would now have names that are named after the pagan gods. Whoa, 
big deal here in the culture. And see, here's what the Babylonian king knew is to gain influence and to gain perspective and to begin to change their behavior. He had to change first the way that they think, then what they believe, and then how they behave. So if you can change the way that you think, it'll change what you believe and then change how you behave. Now here's why this is especially concerning, because this is the same strategy that the enemy, the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him, this is the same tactic that he will employ with us when it comes to culture. Because as he can get us as Christ followers, those who have changed our life saying we're going to follow after God, surrender to him, if he can begin to change the way that we think, he can change the way that we believe, and then he can ultimately change the way that we behave. Because he doesn't want us to follow after God. He doesn't want to us to serve God. He doesn't want our lives to be dedicated to following after Jesus. He doesn't want us to be the ambassadors of Christ from heaven to this world who is desperate for Jesus. And so sometimes it can be a full-scale attack where enemy will seduce you and he'll tell you lies and he'll deceive you and, and there'll be those things that come. But sometimes, and maybe more often than not, it's the slow, subtle beginning to change and drift away. It's the slow way to lull you into complacency, that the slow drift away from the things of God. It's the small compromises. It's the small ways and the ways that we think that begin to change what we believe and ultimately how we behave and the actions that we live with our life. See, here's, friends, something I hope that you get today. And if you don't get anything else, get this one statement. Is that you can't halfway follow Jesus. You can't halfway follow him. You can't be passively a disciple of Christ. You can't do it. There's, there's no way to say, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of a Jesus follower. It's, well, you know, I do, but I'm not really serious about you. You can't do it. Matter of fact, in every other area, every other discipline in life, people would just call you out and tell you you're crazy. What if I just like, I'm really going to get fit. I really want to get into shape. Uh, I'm really thinking that's, you know, what I'm going to do this year and set that goal and, and lose some weight, be physically fit. But I'm only going to work out uh, once a month, you know, and I'll eat whatever I want the rest of the time. But, you know, maybe once a week I'll eat something healthy. That, that's insane, right? No one would be like, that's a great plan. I think you'll really, that sh this result should really work out for you. <laughs> like, Brian, that's never going to work. Or how about in my marriage if I decided I was going to be nice to Christy one time a week? And the rest of the time I'm just going to be like, you know, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to put up with it. But, you know, one time a week I'll, I'll be loving to her and be nice. <laughs> be like, right, that marriage is not going to work out too great if that's hard all the time and investment you're putting into it if you're only going to be partially committed in your marriage. And, but the funny thing is, is that we do the same thing in our relationship with God. We think that if it's just about coming to church one hour, then we'll just automatically be a follower of Jesus. And that's what it means to be a follower. But we cannot be halfway committed in our relationship with God. We've got to be all in. It's like anything in life. It's going to take time. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take dedication and being intentional. And if we're not intentional and dedicated in our relationship with Jesus, then we, re we won't be true followers of Jesus because we can't halfway follow Jesus. That we have to go all in for him. That Jesus went all out for us. That he gave everything. He put it all on the line. And our response, our honor, our privilege, not our obligation, is simply to go all in in following him. To lay down our lives in complete surrender. And sometimes um, that's hard. Sometimes that's challenging. Sometimes that's a lot easier said than done, even as a pastor. 
So how do we begin to do that? I think if you continue reading in Daniel 1 and verse 8, you see this. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. David, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. That he resolved, he said, you know what? I'm not going to do this. As a matter of fact, he picked his battles and said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to fight when my name is taken. When you change my name, that's just an outward thing. I, I know who I am. Go ahead and call me whatever you want. Matter of fact, I, I kind of did this in college once. I had a guy on my floor. He called me Isaac for an entire semester. Every time he saw me in the hall in our dorm, we were a couple of doors away from each other, and he'd be like, hey, Isaac. I just let him call me Isaac. Uh, I just like, I don't know. I didn't even think it was funny. I just didn't want to correct the guy. I kind of felt bad. Um, and then one day, my roommate, it was early in the morning. We're all getting ready in the bathroom there in the dorm in the hall, and uh, he comes around the corner, and he's like, hi, Isaac. And my, my roommate, who was probably a little tired and grumpy in the morning, just looks at him and kind of growls him and says, his name is not Isaac. His name is Brian. And you could hear him be like, oh. And then the rest of the year, I kid you not, he called me, hey. Hey. And then didn't say anything. But <laughs> I wasn't Isaac anymore. It's kind of a cool name. I'm down with Isaac. He called me that. But he didn't fight. Daniel didn't fight when they changed his name. It was just an outward label. He didn't defend his name, but he took a stand when God's name was defamed. He took a stand when culture was going to go against telling him who his God was and how he should act towards his God. He decided he was not going to eat food that was dedicated to the pagan gods. He decided he was going to draw a line that this is not, I'm not going to go there. I resolved to not defile himself, to not defile my God, to not go against, even though all all of culture that I'm now in says, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you do. You go through the motions. You eat from the king's table. It's a high honor. You should be honored to be eating from the king's table. But Daniel knew that it was not the right thing to do. And so how do we live under a God? And how do we live under God in a culture that is increasingly hostile towards Christ followers, towards the things of God? Because friends, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but what's popular and what's right in culture sometimes flies completely in the face of what God has called us and challenged us to do as his followers. Sometimes culture will run completely opposite to the things of God. And that's a challenge. That's hard. Because no one wants to stand out. Everyone wants to go with the flow. No one wants to rock the boat unless you're that kind of person that wants to rock the boat. Then God bless you. But people want to fit in. No one wants to be called out. No one wants to be laughed at. No one wants to be told that they're a holy roller and too good and, and be called a hater and all the other things and be canceled just because of what they believe in making a stand for their God and following after him and choosing to be under God, under culture. But this is what we live in today. How do we do this? You've got to have some predetermined resolutions like Daniel saying that I'm going to choose to live under God. You've got to predetermine. These are some things that even I had to do even, even years ago when I was young in my faith and, and really just for the first time grasping it for my first time as a, as a teenager and even in college. I, I kind of had to make the decision in high school and college that when I got into a relationship with a girl that I wasn't going to have sex before I was married. I, I predetermined that. And if I got into a relationship, that was something that had to be spelled out and you know what you got to do you got to predetermine that that's got to be on the front end you know when you don't have to deal with that is when you're in the back of the car stripping naked and be like oh you know what I decided I didn't know you just got to have some predeterminations I mean we would teach teenagers that all the time in youth ministry you got to have some standards and communicate those up front you've got to pre be predetermined 
predetermined that, you know, a glass of wine, a beer, that's great every once in a while. Nothing wrong with having a drink, but getting drunk is something that God asks us not to do. And so we make predetermination. I'm going to go drinking with my friends, but I'm not going to do it to get intoxicated. I'm not going to cross that line because honestly, friends, nothing leads good when you go past that point. Or how about with our words, we're with our mouth, that we got to be predetermined to speak words of life, to be encouraging, to, to build people up, to not to be a gossip or being negative or tearing people down or telling people what's wrong with them and everything wrong with the world. Friends, we don't need another commentator telling us everything that's wrong with the world. We need some people who are dedicated and follow after God are going to be predetermined and say, my words, I'm going to speak life into the situation. I'm going to believe the best in people. I'm going to choose to give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to show people grace and mercy. And when they use all that up, I'm going to extend more grace to them. See, we've got to be predetermined. We got to be predetermined, just like I, I talked about with the media and the entertainment, with the movies and the television that we watch. Because something might be funny, but just because something's funny doesn't mean that it's right. And friends, just because something funny doesn't mean it's something that's honoring to God or that can even hurt us in our walk and our relationship with Him. Matter of fact, we could be binge watching sin on a regular basis. But we got to be predetermined what we're going to allow into our homes, what we're going to allow on that screen, what we're going to scroll with, with our thumb. What is it that we're going to be predetermined to know how we represent ourselves on social media? This is something that I had to do personally. See, early on in my social media days, I found myself out there putting terrible thoughts, ranting and raves. I'd get up on my soapbox, get people all irate. People would comment on there and we'd get in little flame wars in the comment section. But I had to predetermine that I wasn't going to do that on social media anymore. I'm not going to put things on there that can stir the pot and poke things at people and, you know, throw stones at them from an ivory tower. No, no, no. I made a decision that I'm just going to have positive things. You're going to see pictures of my kids. Probably sick of those. I've got four beautiful girls now. Sick of seeing pictures of them, posting pictures of pretty things outside, things that we're doing, things that are encouraging me, scriptures that I find that encourage me, that things that I'm going through, I can be real with the struggles, the things I'm going with, but I don't have to be negative in how I represent God on social media. But that's the decision I had to make on the front end. Even in our finances, to be predetermined that we're going to be a good steward, that we're going to put God first, that we're going to give him that first 10% that, we, that he has entrusted us with, that we're going to be generous to, to live with margin in our life so that we can be generous. So you can't just get to the point and be like, well, you know what, whatever's lent at the end of the month and we'll see if I can afford anything, if I can swing a couple of bucks, we'll just do that and I'll be generous with that. No, you've got to be predetermined at the beginning that this is what you're going to do with your finances. And then finally, with those we choose to forgive, we're going to be predetermined to be people who choose forgiveness for the people that have hurt us and wronged us. That the Bible even tells us we're supposed to bless those who curse us. Sometimes I laugh and think that literal, like cursing, like cussing, like someone cussing, you give the middle finger and say, God bless you. You know, what a great reaction when you're getting the bird going down the parkway. Jesus loves you, right? I think that just probably make them more upset. I don't know. But the Bible does say a gentle word turns away wrath. So maybe that would be the right thing to do. But we got to be predetermined in our decision. And a lot of times it starts with I will and I won't statements. And so maybe for you like me it was I won't have sex until I'm married. I won't drink until I'm drunk. I, I will speak words of life. Or how about I will spend time with God on a regular basis. See, I know for me and I see this in my life, there's this barometer 
that when I don't spend time with Christ, I start getting really crappy in my relationship with the people who are most important to me. I can tell in my reactions that my, my time with God has been low and I've got to spend time with Him daily. So for me, that's what it looks like. Maybe a few minutes in the Bible, some time in prayer. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter, but that's something that I had to predetermine that I will spend time with God on a daily basis. We've got to be predetermined and we've got to decide that we're under God and that we don't run from culture, but that we choose to influence it. See, Daniel didn't run from culture. He chose to stay and he influenced it. And I encourage you to go read his story. It's amazing to see the impact that he had on the people around him because he didn't choose to run. He stayed and he influenced the culture. See, friends, in the next few weeks, we're going to elect a new president. And it's a tumultuous time in our world, in our country. It's so polarized. But here's the thing that I want you to get is that no matter which party holds office, no matter which one, our God still holds the world. He still holds it. And so no matter who wins, no matter who's in there, we have to, as Christ followers, pray for the president. We have to pray for our nation, but we have to be resolved to be under God. Don't you love those words, but Daniel resolved. Friends, what is it for you? What are some pre-resolutions that you may be, need to make to be resolved? Some of those I will or I won't statements. Maybe write them out. Get specific. Write those things down. What, what are those things? Share them with someone else. Share them with your spouse. Share them with your kids. Maybe go around the room and share some of those things that you know that you have to predetermine that you will or that you won't. Those lines that you won't cross. See, to be open, to be faithfully, to faithfully live under God in our culture, often opposed to God, we have to make predetermined resolutions. When I finish with this in 1 Peter 5, 6, because sometimes this requires us to be humble. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. See, friends, as we talk about making these resolutions and living under God versus living under culture, sometimes it requires us to humble ourselves in the things that we want, which are many times what culture is telling us to live for, which is directly opposed to what Jesus is telling us to live for. Put it this way, culture tells you to promote yourself, but Jesus says to deny yourself. Culture says to consume, consume, consume. It's all about what you can get, but Jesus says to give and to be generous. Culture says to hate those who hurt you, but God, Jesus tells you to love your enemies. The culture tells you to pursue things and it's about all about the stuff and everything that you can acquire. And Jesus says to pursue God and his kingdom. See, culture says live for now and in this moment and everything you can get. But Jesus says live for eternity because this life is temporary. Culture says pursue happiness, pursue your happiness. But Jesus says pursue righteousness in the kingdom of God. Friends, I want to leave you with this warning that if you begin to do this and you begin to change that sway from living under culture to living under God, you will begin to see some tension. You will begin to see some friction in your life because you'll begin to live differently than the culture around you. And here's the thing. You shouldn't be worried when you're persecuted. Jesus himself said they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. People are going to laugh. They're going to give you a hard time. They're going to tell you that you're crazy and that you're wrong or want to cancel you. But here's the thing. Don't worry about that. You should be worried when you don't feel that or sense that. Because if you don't feel that or sense that, it probably means that you're living under the influence of culture instead of living under the influence of God. Friends, as we wrap up today, 
and we live in this crazy season, this election cycle, and unpacking this whole idea of being under God, I want to leave you with this thought that no matter who is president, Christ is still king. And no matter who is in the Oval Office or in the governor's mansion or in your mayor's office, that we as Christ followers still live under God instead of living under culture. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord, I thank you that you love us and that you pursue us. And God, that our honor and our response is to put you first in every area of our life, that you gave it all for us. Now, Lord, our honor, our privilege is to give it all to you. God, I pray that we would have some honest introspection, maybe even this week, beginning to evaluate the things that we do and even some of these examples that we talked about and really begin to examine our life and are we living completely under the culture, under that influence, or are we living under the influence of God? God, I pray that you would help us have some honest conversations, some honest soul searching, and God, I pray that you would help us to put some things, to predetermine some things that we will and that we won't, God, so that we can make you a priority and put you first and live under God. Lord, I thank you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I'm so excited for the next two weeks as we continue this series. I really encourage you, if you missed last week, go back and listen, take a look, and don't miss the next two weeks. Uh, we love you, and we'll see you really soon. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.